Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Point of order. It's election shock therapy. Interjecting into your parliamentary procedure. I'm Chris Moore. And joining me on this abbreviated EST podcast is... Uh, Mitchell Crum and Sam Mulberry. Sam, our producer, is here to talk to us <laughs> about where I was last week. Yeah, Mitch, Mitch, a long time ago when you were at Bethel, I was like a regular back in 2016. I was on every episode, so it's, that's true. It, it's good to be home. You know? <laughs> do you do you miss it? Or I do. You, I do. I've been pulled away by Annie Berglund into various kinds of enterprises. <laughs> that's right. I mean, Chris, we're not talking about cinema. We're not talking about airbending. We're not talking about Twitter. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Could you, um, now, now, my, here's, here's my white whale. Here's my white whale getting Annie Berglund in election shock therapy. Oh, I, it's, it's in the works, Chris. It is in the works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam, um, can I tell you about how I spent my Thanksgiving vacation? Oh, please do. Okay, so you might have, if you were an avid listener of this channel, you know that uh, Professors uh, Bramson and Kukum had a lovely chat last week about Professor Bramson's sabbatical project and polarization in in churches, um, and the role that pastors have to play in understanding and um, and working in the in a polarized world. I wasn't here because I was in a van, not down by the river, but in a van with um, uh, 18 uh, Bethel's uh, students on the way to Chicago, Illinois for the American United Nations Conference. And I've come to give a little bit of a report on that and to talk to these guys a little bit about um, simulations in general. So let me start by just asking both of you, what is your experience either as a student or as a uh, instructor in uh, in terms of like simulations and other kinds of experiential classroom exercises. Well, I'll go first. I because of the nature of the courses that I teach, I don't have a there's not a lot of simulations that we've done. Although um, I, I do think there is a connection between simulations and study abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, where there, study abroad has an experiential learning element to it. So um, I have taught a number of courses where we took students to Europe to learn about the, fir- the First World War. Um, so walking through trenches and cemeteries and things like that, um, I think it, it helps to kind of create empathy uh, a little bit more. We did do a simulation in the Hall of Mirrors at, Vers- uh, at Versailles of the Versailles Conference. Um, the, the aforementioned Annie Berglund was a student at that point, And I think she represented Germany, um, and, uh, got pretty much everything she wanted out of the conference. She kind of strong armed, uh, the allies. Uh, but it was, it was a funny moment because you're not really, when you're at Versailles, you're supposed to just kind of keep moving. You're not supposed to just stay in one spot. And we spent a lot of time in the hall of mirrors, getting in little groups, getting back. And the, uh, the guards who spoke mostly uh, only French and us who spoke almost no French, uh, there was a lot of tension in that moment uh, <laughs> from that. So that, that's, I think, in terms of teaching the biggest simulation I've done. When I was a student in high school, I did do uh, three years of, uh, well, two and a half years of youth and government. Mm. Um, 
if you know anything tell, tell about, me about tell me about youth and government what is what is that program uh i think it's i think it's a national program uh, I, there was a, a basically a state version of it where um each little town had their own delegation um, and we would work throughout the fall and into the early winter um, preparing. We, so you would, you would write bills and you would either be uh, a Senator or representative, or you would be part of the judicial system. Or if you ran for elected office, you would, you would be that. So, um, so there were two big youth and government meetings. The first was the convention and that's where we elected the governor, Lieutenant governor, attorney general, those types of things. Um, uh, and then there was the actual, like, it was like a three or four day weekend where we get, we took over the state Capitol. We actually got to use the Capitol chambers. Um, so I, my first year I was in eighth grade, I was a page and that was just a way to learn about the program. So like, you don't really have any power, but you get to see everything. That was the most fun year. Cause I didn't have any responsibilities. Um, <clears throat> my second year I was a lawyer. Mm. Uh, so, it, so when you're, when you're in the legal system, you, both get a constitutional case that you need to write a brief for and then you argue in a in one of the courtrooms um and other students are playing judges and then you get to play judge uh for other people's cases um you know and it was part part of it i think for for something like youth in government is actually being in the facilities themselves so like yeah when you're a judge you go back into the judges chambers with the other justices and debate the case and you have to write a response to that um and then my my sophomore year which was my last year i was a uh, in the senate i think um and i said i did two and a half years because i kind of bailed on it partway through the weekend i remember this is not good advice. If any of my kids are listening, don't follow this advice. But I like, I remember I like tabled my bill. I thought my bill was dumb and I just kind of wandered around for the second half of that weekend. So I hope none of your model UN folks did that, Chris. <laughs> no, I don't think they did. Although, um, I'm, I'm sort of drawing comparisons. Does that make him like a Ben Sass there, Mitch? Is like, what, is there somebody that we can, <laughs> somebody who sort of just midway through their political career decided that they'd had enough? Is, is, he, is he Paul Ryan? I don't know. What's, that's right. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm definitely somebody who joined the media, right? Like, that's what I'm doing now. Oh, there we go. So he's, um, okay. I'll oh, stop there. Uh, Mitch, do you have, uh, were you a boy state guy? Were you youth in government? Did you have experiences growing up in, in simulations? Um, not, not, not a ton really. I mean, I think, um, I mean, my biggest sort of like experiential learning, I think growing up was, uh, I did forensics, like forensic debates. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, so I did that. That was, that was probably the biggest, I'm not sure if that's exactly a simulation, but, um, um, sort of in the same vein, I guess, in some ways. Um, now does forensics include mock trial or is that separate? That was separate, um, at okay. least in the program that I was involved in. Um, it was just uh, basically we did both team and like Lincoln Douglas type stuff. Gotcha. So, you know, you'd have the formal resolution and you'd, you know, give a speech and then a rebuttal and then a rebuttal to the rebuttal and then et cetera, like mm -hmm. you know, cross-examination and all that. So, gotcha. Um, I loved it. It was one of my favorite things, actually, um, when I was growing up. So, um, so yeah, so there was... Uh, so, so I did that. And actually, I don't know that I had too much experience with simulations when I was at school. I guess this is kind of a pitch for, you know, the small liberal arts school. But like, you know, as somebody who went to the big, uh, you know, state R1 school, like, you know, it's it's hard to actually have like a real like experiential learning experience when there's like 100, uh, one, you know, 100 to 200 people in an auditorium. So, yep. um, you know, so that that just like really wasn't part of my 
um, education. I guess I guess maybe the closest thing I had was um, there was one in my Congress class. We had like uh, little debate type things, um, but that was about it. That was um, you know there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot um, beyond that. Okay. Um, but in terms of my own classes, like I mean the stuff that I've taught. Um, I've I've incorporated some elements of simulations. I mean, I have like little games that I play at different times in my intro class, which I don't know if those fully count as simulations, but they're little like activities that get people moving around and doing stuff with different incentives and things. So, but the big one that I've done um, is for my constitutional law classes. Um, I basically will split the class up into different panels of justices and they will play the part of the justices and I will actually just be the, I, I, I always play the part of the lawyers um, arguing uh, basically a current case that's before the court. So I'll choose, you know, if I, if I, I'm not, but if I were teaching this semester, I would have chosen like, you know, uh, the Dobbs case on abortion or yeah. whatever, like whatever, like sure. big ticket cases is before the court. Like I would take um, two or three of those and, and we would, we would do them. And then the students course, that's part of their big project is then to write the opinion and debate amongst themselves and stuff like that. Um, as far as the, as far as the decision goes. So, so yeah, so that's probably my biggest, most ambitious um, simulation element to, to, to my classes is that, uh, is that, is that part in the con law classes. Okay. So what I, you, Chris, did, did, did you, did, I know that you teach a lot with simulations. You've done your sabbatical on simulations. Did you have any as a, did you experience this at all as a student or is this something that you came to as a teacher? I did. I, I, I did have a rich experience of, with simulations. Now my high school was pretty small and I didn't have access to youth and government, but I did have the opportunity to participate in Boys State. And so Boys State is this program run by the American Legion where uh, different Legion chapters select boys. There's also a girl's state, which um, selects girls. Um, and then you basically spend a, a week uh, on a college campus for Ohio. It was Bowling Green State University. And you basically do what you kind of did, Sam, with youth and government, only you do the whole thing in a week. So the first few days are campaigning. And then uh, each dorm is a city. Or I'm sorry. Each each dorm hall is a city. Uh, the dorms that represent states. Um, they do a lot of kind of kooky stuff. I mean, the, the sidewalks in the dorms were roads, and there were toll roads, and you actually had to pay to be on certain sidewalks. Um, but somebody's elected governor, and there were a thousand boys at the Ohio Boys State, um, which was I think one of the largest in the country. And so, getting elected governor was no small feat. And um, the major elected offices were pretty competitive too. It was, it was interesting at, at the time. I remember not loving it, but that's because it all a lot of it felt um, complex for complexity's sake. And I wasn't at the time someone who had fallen in love with simulations. But I always loved games, and I liked role playing games, and, I, and so that that kind of thing spoke to me quite a bit. When I got into college, right away within my first year, I was thrust into a, a simulation of the U.S. Senate, and then. Uh, twice during my undergraduate days, I got to participate in a program that my undergraduate college had called Operation Bentley. And Operation Bentley combined a simulation of local government, which sounds boring, but was really interesting because it was issues that like zoning issues, uh, um, environmental issues, tax abatement issues, combined with having a lot of the who's who in Michigan politics come and talk to us about their roles in civic life. And so we, it was for 100 high school juniors, and I was one of the college students that helped facilitate that program. But my biggest experience was I myself did Model UN back when I was an undergraduate. 
uh, and I participated in probably, oh, probably close to 10 conferences over the course of my college career. And so that was something that was really important, formative to me as I was preparing to go to graduate school. And so I was excited when I was at Bethel and had the opportunity to create that program here and allow our students to experience it too. Is your impression from being a uh, Model UN uh, coordinator that there's, do you have a lot of students who've done Model UN before or do you have a lot of folks who this is their first experience? Mostly their first experience. Now it's always kind of fun to have somebody who's done it before and who understands a little bit of what it's like in high school. The, the level of rigor goes up in college. And so I think even the people who did it in high school don't have a huge background advantage to people who didn't, who never did it. But uh, most of my students are, are sort of brand new to the system, brand new to the program. Do you have a sense of how old Model UN is as a program? It goes back at least as far as the 70s, and it might go back earlier than that. But uh, the conference that I'm that I participated in got going, I think, in the early 90s. Okay, I ask that because I'm wondering: Are there ex um, examples of? people who cut their teeth in things like model UN or boys state who went on to become prominent, uh, prominent politicians in America. I don't know about prominent politicians. That's a really good question. Now there are certainly some boys staters who I think have gone on to successful political careers. I'd have to go back and look and see who, which, which politicians match up with boys state and girls state and those kinds of things. Um, for model UN, it's, it's funny. Some of the, advisors who are professors now at their respective schools that I interact with were at one time students that I interacted with in Model UN. Oh, really? and, even, and even some of the people who run the conference now, there's a woman I, who just quote unquote retired. She'd been serving at the conference for 18 years. She's a professor at the, at the Army War College. And I remember when she did Model UN um, as a student. So it, it is formative, I think, for those kind of those of us who go on into academic careers and are, are really interested in foreign policy, interested in diplomacy. Um, it's a hook for those kinds of things, for sure. So how many years have you been doing Model UN at, at Bethel? Uh, this was our 10th year. Okay. And this was, this was a big year for you because of the country that you were, yep. right? So, so tell us a little bit about that. Yep. So this conference we attend, which is in Chicago, has a lottery system. A lot of them do for for picking countries. And we, the year prior, uh, we were the Democratic Republic of Congo, and we sat in for the lottery. And lo and behold, we got the third overall pick. And this is out of like seventy or eighty schools. So on the board were basically all of our choices, and we decided to go big, and we went for the People's Republic of China. So that meant that we had to take. Um, a pretty big, good group. Of, we could have gotten away with as few as I think 14 or 13 students. We ended up taking 18. So the number of our students could double up and have partners on their committees. And it, China is a, is a big, powerful country that a lot of people look to in their respective committees. And I should mention the way that Model UN works is you have 18 students, but they're not all sitting in the same room together. Uh, just like the UN, there are different primary committees. Uh, the first committee deals with uh, disarmament issues, international security. The second committee deals with um, economics and finance. Uh, third committee deals with special political issues and decolonization issues. And so we had one or two students on each one of those committees. There were also specialty committees that were created for the purposes of this conference. So there was a meeting of the International Atomic Energy Agency. There was a meeting for the United Nations Environmental Agency. 
there was a meeting for the United Nations um, Economic and Social Council for Asia and the Pacific, or uh, UNSCAP, if you prefer. <laughs> um, and so we had to place people on all of those committees. And so they're working separately during their sessions, but then we're all convening together outside of session to talk about how we're jointly representing China. So, so what kind of student signs up for something like Model UN and what kind of student thrives in Model UN? Mm, suckers. No, um, it, uh, we had um, a lot of students set up who are poli-sci and history and philosophy, but not just that. We had students who are physics and chemistry, um, uh, computer science. So there is a range of students who, in, who enjoy doing this. And what makes a student successful is there's kind of uh, – three or four buckets of, of, of tools that you want to be able to have. You want to be able to research well. And so understand your topic areas well. Each committee that I described has a couple of topics they're going to focus on. So it's not just general knowledge. You have to be able to dive deeply into, say, the use of nuclear power for food production, which is one of the international atomic energy uh, topics. Um, so you have to be able to do that. Um, but you also need to be able to work collaboratively with other people. So how you manage a whole bunch of people with a lot of different competing interests and trying to interject your own interests while at the same time working towards some kind of consensus. Finally, um, a bucket of good public speaking skills doesn't hurt. You don't have to be a brilliant public speaker, but people who are good public speakers tend to do well. And so kind of honing some of those kinds of skills technical writing skills are all really important and, and, and get honed as a part of participating in this. Let me ask you this question because I've noticed um, uh, in talking with, with uh, Chris Gertz, uh, who I would do study abroad with, that um, once we had students do that history trip, that World War One trip, uh, for one thing, we had deeper relationships with those students, which I'm sure you have. But also when we would see those folks in the classroom, they came back from those things changed. They were a different type of historian mm -hmm. in a really positive way. Do you notice the same thing in IR classes or, or poli-sci classes? Yeah, that's the goal. Because in the same way that you had this, uh, this simulation in the Hall of Mirrors, and it's just different to be talking about Versailles when you're there. And when you're sort of trying to simulate sort of this, these hard choices, these hard decisions in the place where it happened, the room where it happened, I'll say that for Mitch, um, it's different. And likewise, having students spend three days in this really deep conversation on this fairly narrow technical issue that UN diplomats have struggled with gives them a depth of knowledge about a specific area, yes, but also a breadth of knowledge about varying uh, opinions and perspectives in the international system from a variety of countries too. So it just gives you a sense of the state of play in the international system. When it works well, um, it really adds to people's depth of experience. And do you notice that, like I said, in the classroom going forward then, you notice like, oh, those those people who had that Model UN experience that in an IR class there, mm. you see that play out more? Yeah, in fact, it produces uh, something I actually needed to compensate for in the classroom because sometimes I'll have students, as, as you know, Sam, a lot of our, um, some of our courses are offered as gen eds, right? So they, they meet certain graduation requirements. So I have students show up in those classes that may have no experience with Model UN. And then I have students who've done this and I need to essentially help them both be on the same page so that the students who have no experience with sort of these 
um, technical issues that come up before the UN aren't just cowed by students who have a lot of speaking experience, but also a lot of sort of firsthand experience with some of how these issues are debated. Mm -hmm. So, so as you think about simulations in the classroom, things like this, do either of you have like uh, dream poli sci simulations you'd love to do, but maybe just haven't quite figured out how to how to build it yet? Uh, one that I attempted to build at one point but failed um, <laughs> was a more complex uh, simulation of Congress. Um, I was trying to build it where students had incentives both to compromise but also um, simultaneously to torpedo one another's um, proposals. So basically you had, you know, um, you know, folks who there, there were incentives to try to actually pass bills, but then also incentives to try to obstruct. And it just didn't pan out the way that I'd hoped it didn't, it didn't quite, quite land. But I think with some more tweaks and work, uh, that one eventually could, could turn out. So I've had a big, a hairy idea for a while now. Um, which would incorporate sort of a multidisciplinary approach. So uh, I've got um, a pretty good handle on guiding a political science class through a political science problem. But oftentimes political science problems end with asking other types of people to do other types of things. So here's an example. Um, imagine a, a humanitarian crisis, a, a tsunami like the one that occurred in Sri Lanka in 2004. Um, yes, political leaders meet, um, the, the political, uh, a political science group could simulate um, the United Nations, the UN Security Council, um, and other kinds of uh, relief programs. But then you'd also have, I'd love to bring in like an international business class, uh, which would then be charged by the UN to deal with foreign direct investment. What kinds of things do you want to invest in, uh, businesses you want to cultivate to help Sri Lanka get back on their feet following the tsunami? How do you begin to redevelop um, and how do you open markets in that kind of way? And then at the same time, you might have a um, reconciliation studies class talk about how disparate stakeholders, including formerly fighting um, ethnic factions, how do they resolve crises? And how does actually something like a tsunami event actually help the peace building process? And then you even have like a, like a healthcare program, like a, an intro to healthcare class or a nursing class. Um, deal with um, triage issues and how do you actually train healthcare workers heading to ground to deal with um, um, tsunami victims? How do you actually train people to respond to prevent outbreaks of things like cholera uh, at the same time dealing with proximate injuries from the actual event itself? I think that'd be, I'd love to have like a five or six class simulation where everybody's working on the same, on a similar problem. Um, and, and the choices each class makes influences what the other classes are doing. That would be so much fun. That is pretty cool. I'd love to make yeah. a documentary about that. So <laughs> I don't know that I could participate in it, but it would be fun to uh, film the different groups and try to piece together that story. Yeah, that'd be a blast. So, Chris, I have to ask, how did your how how did how did China fare um, at this uh, particular UN? You know, um, we did pretty well uh, in the sense that we made a lot of people mad. <laughs> we um, we had a number of people come up and tell us, um, "You're playing China really well because you're driving me nuts." Um, which is which is to say that China is often the country in um, bodies like the Security Council, but also in um, general assembly bodies in the UN, which is sort of folding its arms and saying, no, 
uh, we're going to respect national sovereignty. We're going to respect countries' rights to control things within their own borders. We don't need international bodies snooping in our borders and telling us what to do. That smacks of colonialism, and we're not going to participate in that. Even though China is a major economic power and is investing in other countries, um, we don't want Western countries telling us what to do. So uh, I, just, I, I just remember a sequence uh, midway through the conference where the UK and the Security Council had worked for half a day on crafting some kind of a resolution. And China had told them repeatedly, we told them repeatedly, um, we can't support this. And they charged it anyway. And we vetoed the resolution and all their work went for naught. Um, and then they gave a very fiery press conference con uh, condemning China for our unwillingness to compromise international issues. And basically it was, and behind, behind the scenes they said, no, you did what you should have done. This is what, this is how you should have acted. Um, so that feels right. It feels like we played our part well, even if our part <laughs> was sort of obstinacy. <laughs> so, but Next year, we get to look forward to a very different kind of challenge uh, with the sort of, I think we we're the 22nd pick or something like that in the draft. Um, so we're not, not quite that third pick level. Um, we got uh, Pakistan. And so I'm really excited to be a nuclear power. I'm excited to be a country that um, sits on the historical Security Council. So we'll, be, we'll not be on the, the current Security Council, but this conference simulates a Security Council of a given year. And the year is 1993. There's a lot of great stuff happening in 1993 in the UN. There's the breakup of Yugoslavia. I shouldn't say great stuff, important stuff. How's that? <laughs> um, there's the breakup of Yugoslavia. There's the humanitarian crisis in Somalia. There's... Um, uh, Rwanda is getting ready to, to, to happen, um, as well as the breakup of the Soviet Union. And so Pakistan's right in the mix of all of that. Pakistan's an undeclared nuclear power at that point. So that should all be really interesting and really fun for our students to play. Plus, we have a court case um, in the International Court of Justice, uh, India versus Pakistan. So all of that should be make it for a really fun experience next year. Uh, Chris, because I host a, a movie podcast or co-host a movie podcast, can I throw in a quick plug here uh, for, some, for something that I haven't seen um, only because I don't have uh, Apple Plus? Is that what it's called? Apple TV? What is the Apple streaming service called? Um, let's go with uh, Apple it's, TV. It's, it's Apple TV. Yeah. Apple Disney TV. Plus, okay. Apple TV. <laughs> yes. Okay. I don't know. I don't have it. So I don't know what it is, but I've heard this is spectacular. It's a uh, 2020 documentary called Boys State, which is about Boys State in Texas, I think. Has, have either of you seen this? I haven't, but it's on my list and I do have Apple TV, so I'm hoping to get to it here. Yeah. So if anybody in Minnesota has Apple TV and wants to invite me over, I would love to watch this movie. I've I've heard uh, from many sources that it's really fantastic and, well, Sam, I, and gets at some of these things. Sam, I just found out from my wife yesterday, we have Apple TV. So come on over. Let's watch some Boys State. Sounds good. I don't know, Sam. You could fly down here. And I'll show it to you. Well, the weather's probably nicer. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for listening to us talk about simulations um, and how we do some of these things in our classrooms and why we think these things are important and valuable. You can always get a hold of us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back in your feed with a more typical podcast talking about uh, national level politics next week. But until then, thanks for listening to us. Check out the other things in our podcast feed. We're at uh, Channel 3900. And uh, a lot of, as, as Sam mentioned, we got video store, we've got tweet victory and lots of other great things on the channel right now. So make sure you check those things out until you hear from my voice again, go Royals. Mm -hmm.